0: thanks so much for listening. It would be a dream of mine to grow a newsletter from zero to 9,000 plus in less than six months. But that's exactly what Chanel Basilio did. By the way, that's a full 1,000 more than when we recorded this interview. The way she did it? Deeply researched, super helpful content. See, Chanel teaches people how successful creators grew their newsletters to 50,000 plus subscribers. And today, she's going to tell us all about her process. This was so inspirational to me, so inspirational, in fact, that I launched my own deeply researched long-form newsletter that you can find over at podcastworkflows.com. Plus, in How I Built It Pro, we talk money and goals for her for the next six months. Look for these top takeaways, creating unique long-form content that can be a boom to your website or newsletter. Think about quick capture because that's important. Chanel uses Apple Notes. And think about who you're going to cover and how to keep it timely. Chanel will only do deep dives on creators who have built an audience since 2018. She knows what worked 10 years ago probably doesn't work today. So definitely look for her to talk about that. All in all, I loved this interview. Chanel is fantastic. Definitely check out her newsletter, Growth in Reverse. You can find a link in the show notes over at howibuilt.it slash 319, that's how I built it slash 319. You'll be able to find her newsletter, my newsletter, and a link to the membership if you want to get the behind the scenes stuff on what Chanel is going to do in the next six months. But that's it for now. Let's get into the intro and then the interview. Hey, everybody, and welcome to How I Built It, the podcast where you get free coaching calls from successful creators. Each week, you get actionable advice on how you can build a better content business to increase revenue and establish yourself as an authority. I'm your host, Joe Casabona. Now let's get to it. Hey, everybody. Now you, if you're a longtime listener of this show, you know that when I go to a conference, a multi-day conference, there is a an amount of time where I'm interviewing a bunch of people from that conference. Chanel Basilio is a little unique in in that I asked her before the conference, but we met in real life at the conference. So I'm really excited to talk to Chanel today. Chanel, how are you?
1: I'm doing well, Joe. Thanks for having me.
0: My pleasure. Chanel runs the Growth in Reverse newsletter, which is, it's like my Sunday reading, right? Your newsletter comes out on Sunday. I think I told you this at CEX, which is the conference I didn't name earlier. But I actually print your articles as a PDF to put on my Kindle so I have like uninterrupted reading time with your content. I think it's that good.
1: Wow. Thank you. Yeah, you told me that and I was like, I've never heard this before.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's probably a ridiculous workflow, right? Like I could easily read it on my iPad or something, but like I don't want notifications or distractions, right? And like I can highlight and make notes, which then like get synced to Readwise, which is cool. Readwise is such a great tool. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk about tools a lot because you have a very interesting process. I'm also going to direct people to Jay Klaus's episode, your interview with Jay over on Creator Science, because you cover a lot of things that we are not going to cover here, because I want unique content, one of the important things we need. If you do a lot of shows, right, you don't necessarily want to say the same things over and over again, right? You want fresh stuff. So this is something I'm sure you did cover with Jay, but how did you come up with the idea for Growth in Reverse? You launched this in like, December 2022, right? And now as we record this, it's May, you've grown to 8,000 plus subscribers. How did you come up with the idea for Growth in Reverse?
1: Yeah, so I have been floundering around on the internet probably since like 2014 after I found Pat Flynn, started some websites, ended up helping people with paid ads. So I've just seen people be able to send emails, like send one email and make like thousands of dollars overnight. And that was always interesting to me. But then I started learning about people like Mario Gabrielli from The Generalist. And he was able to build like a $300,000 business in a couple of years, like as a solo guy. And then you just start learning about more stories. And I was like, I want to figure out how people do this without running paid ads or having a built in audience from like a previous role or something. So I just kind of started doing the research and, uh, I figured if I was spending this much time, maybe somebody else wanted to read it as well. So I started a newsletter about newsletters.
0: That's fantastic. That's kind of how this show was born, right? I was asking people like how they built their online businesses. And I'm like, wait a minute. This feels like a good podcast. In 2016, it was. I guess it still is, right? It's still like a main income generator for me. But I like that you were scratching your own itch, right? Which is like, Early episodes of this, like long-time listeners when I talked about WordPress again will know like this was the origin story for a lot of WordPress plugins. Oh, well, we just, we felt like everything else was bad and we made this and then we decided to sell it. I think what's super interesting about you and yours is that it's, I know how to code, right? I can write a plugin, right? And then set up a landing page or whatever. You don't just inherently know how these people are making money. It takes you like 20 to 25 hours of research. But your day job is like doing ads for people. Does that take a lot of research? Like is research just like deep research something you've always done before?
1: No, not really. I do deep research for like other things. Like I probably spend way too much time before I pick something to buy. Like if there's two options, I'm one of those people who like obsesses over it and I'm like, oh, but is this the right move? So maybe in that sense, but not necessarily in a work sense. But then I realize like how much I really enjoy it. So it just kind of worked out. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's really interesting, right? I don't know. Do you know CGP Grey? He's like a big YouTuber. He's been on YouTube forever. And he's like one of the few people who can just like publish a video every couple of months and like still make that like a big supporting part of his business. But like on his podcast, Cortex with Mike Hurley, he'll get into his process for research and like he'll spend like hours at the library digging into these books. Like he was like researching like how the name Tiffany became so popular was one of his, and like it sent him down these rabbit holes. It's just really interesting. And I feel like, again, in today's world of like instant gratification, it's like I should be able to ask ChatGPT, like, oh, how did the name Tiffany come about? And then like, I just get told, you know, how does Pat Flynn make his money? Oh, I just get told. So that's super interesting to me. I have like grand visions of like doing deep research. But one of the things holding me back is like, is this going to affect my bottom line? Like, do you worry about that stuff? I realize I didn't prep you about money. So like, if you don't want to answer that question, you don't have to.
1: (laughs) No, that's okay. I guess, are you asking if like all of my research takes away from client work or?
0: Yeah, I guess that's really the question, right? Like the opportunity cost of doing 20 to 25 hours of research, right? Is like, that's half a work week.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess the good thing about it is like, I want growth in reverse to be my full-time thing eventually. So I'm kind of trying to make that transition. So spending all this time up front is just okay with me because it's how it's going to happen.
0: Yeah, that's really smart, right? That's like the right way. This is, again, like the right way to build a business when you have, you talk to a lot of people who do client work and they want to make a product their thing. And I've heard a lot of, it's just really hard to say no to client work. And I'm like, well, you got to make your product a client right? Like you need to do that and treat it as another client so that you build that time into your schedule.
1: It helps that this is fun and I'd rather be doing this than client work. So it's easy to make the time for it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Right. Like pseudo procrastination, right? Because it's like, oh, I want to do this, but also like this is the thing this is where I want my business to be. That's really interesting. So let's talk about your research process because this is another thing that's really interesting to me. I don't know if I have like the patience or wherewithal. Like I tweeted the other day, I'm, I'm back on Twitter for those who don't know. I tweeted like, what's something seemingly unrelated you learned in school that helps you with your profession today? A creator mentioned like, oh, like I was a journalism major and now I do these sort of things. And I wish I had more like journalistic gumption and i just don't like where do you start with research
1: yeah so i guess it's really figuring out like who i'm going to be researching that week which takes way more time than it probably should i wish i could just sit down and like put together a schedule because i have to make sure there's a good angle there and like there's something that people can relate to like i only do deep dives on people who started their newsletter like more recently. So 2018, 2017, it's probably the earliest and more recent. So I don't want to start with somebody like James Clear or Tim Ferriss because the the ways they grew are not really relatable anymore. So while I would love to do that, it just doesn't seem like, at least at this point, I'm just going to stick with the more recent ones. So
0: I want to pause and really drive that point home, right? Because like I respect everything Pat Flynn has done, right? Pat Flynn started his podcast in 2009, maybe 2008. The way he grew his podcast, I don't think he does this, right? But if he's telling you like, this is how I grew my podcast in 2009, that's just totally irrelevant to people today. I mean, it's 14 years ago. That is like a whole lifetime in internet years. And so like, I love that you have this pretty hard stop on like just slightly pre-pandemic, maybe how people grew their newsletter. Because you're right. like. James Clear and Tim Ferriss, like if they started a newsletter, say today, like they would immediately have millions of subscribers on it.
1: Yeah. So I want to make sure it's relatable. So I try and keep it more recent.
0: Awesome. So you don't have like a swipe file of like random names and just like pick one off of it or do you? And then you're like, oh, this is like they recently did a podcast interview. So this is going to make my research a little easier or whatever.
1: Yeah, I have a list I'm not that thoughtful about it, like you mentioned, like making sure they have more recent stuff. Um, But I'll start going through the list and sometimes I'll be like really excited about someone and I'm like, oh man, but they were writing on Medium for like 11 years before that. Oh, well, never mind. So then I have to scratch them off and like start again.
0: (laughs) That's super interesting. So it's like, you're really looking for like they started, like started, started.
1: Yeah, I mean... Maybe they were doing something online, but they didn't have like Justin Gage from technically I did a deep dive on recently and he had been writing online for years, but he didn't have an audience. So I felt like it was okay. Like he pretty much started building his audience more recently.
0: I think you said something similar about the bite bite Go guys, right? Like one of them was posting pretty regularly on LinkedIn, but like wasn't actively building an audience. That's really cool. I like that angle a lot, right? Because it's like I joined Twitter on April 1st, 2007 right? April Fool's Day, which is like always this little joke in my head. Like, oh, of course it was. I was in college still. Actually, I've deleted every tweet from before like 2020, I think. You know, I wasn't actively building anything. I was still getting like web design clients from word of mouth. I've completely moved industries now. So that's super interesting. So let's say once you pick somebody, what's your first step?
1: Yeah. So the first step, I will create like a Spotify playlist of all of the podcast interviews they've been on I guess you would say and also like if they have their own podcast I'll kind of go through and pull out some good episodes that might seem to have like some insights but yeah so some of the people I do deep dives on the list is very long like 43 hours of content long but some of them are just like a couple here and there which is pretty surprising and sometimes makes it harder so I'll create that playlist and then I kind of just start running through it.
0: (laughs) Do you listen at like two or three x? Yeah. You do okay. Okay. I mean, with the people who've been on like dozens of podcasts, say, I assume they do start to get repetitive after a while. Is there a point where you're like, all right, I've heard this story like four times. I think I could stop listening.
1: Yeah, I usually don't stop listening. I'll just like skip through it. I do all of my listening while I'm walking. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I usually do like four to five mile walks while I'm listening to all these podcasts. Yeah, it's a good way to like, I don't know, stack habits, if you will. So like it makes me go on a walk, but I also enjoy it.
0: That's really interesting. I listen to podcasts when I walk too, but they're all like irrelevant or whatever. I've started listening while I'm running and I realized that like, I'm not taking notes while I'm running. I have like two thoughts, which is like, this is how much time I have left and then don't die before (laughs) that. Like don't die before you get to your doorstep. And so like, you know, I go back and forth, like should I listen to music? Should I listen to podcasts? I could probably pick, right? Like entertaining ones during the run or whatever and then like research or thought provoking ones during a walk. In any case, have you seen Chaser? Really interesting tool. I think it's Podchaser that does this. You can like look up a person and basically get a list of all of the podcasts they've been on.
1: Mm, nope, haven't. Thank you. No
0: problem. That's a really good tool. I was using uh,
1: Listen Notes for a while.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. I know this is... Maybe it's just like because I'm not like so embedded in like the podcast editing space, or maybe it's because I haven't been in it since like 2010. But there are people who absolutely hate Listen Notes. They're like, this is the worst tool. All of their rankings are inflated because they include every podcast that's ever been put. And I'm like, okay, well, fine. It's still like a good tool though. I will link both PodChaser and Listen Notes in the show notes, which you can find over at HowIBuiltIt slash three one nine. I mean, as well as everything we're going to talk about here because we're going to get into tools in a minute and people love tools. Okay, so you listen to so many podcasts. Do You look at like written interviews or YouTube videos or I assume like some stuff that they share though. Like you have some numbers that I'm surprised you were able to find, right? And some you extrapolate, but some I'm like shocked that that's public knowledge.
1: Yeah, so the podcast will help a lot with that. So usually a, a host will say, oh, this person has grown their email list to." 50,000 subscribers or whatever. And they also have 75,000 Instagram followers. So I'm just like, as I'm walking, I have an Apple Notes document open and I'm just like taking notes of like, okay, this was published in November, 2021. It's probably around that time frame that they recorded it. So then I'll put those all into like a Google sheet and uh, go from there.
0: Nice. And is your Google sheet just like listing numbers? Are there like formulas?
1: Well, actually, I guess there are some formulas. Like if I only have a couple of numbers for certain, like, certain things like subscriber count or whatnot. Sometimes I'll kind of like guesstimate like how many paid subscribers versus free based on previous ratios, if you will. But most of the time it's just plain numbers.
0: Nice. And then you create these really nice looking graphics too. Do you use like Canva for that?
1: I do use Canva. Yeah. That's awesome.
0: All right. So you listen to a bunch of podcasts, you find blog posts, whatever else they've published online. I suspect you also subscribe to their newsletter. Yes. Okay. So are you subscribed to like a million newsletters?
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) And do they all hit your like email inbox or do you use something like Feedbin or Reader or Readwise to like parse those out?
1: Yeah. So I set up a different email address and I just like subscribe with all of those. But yeah, it's a lot to go through. And usually I just have them being sent to it and I don't always read them all. So once I do a deep dive on that person, I'll just go back and like search for them.
0: That makes sense if you really want to get wild with this, this is like, I think my best performing blog post over time, I wrote it in like 2010 and it still gets a bunch of hits. It is like the plus operator in Gmail. It also works in Microsoft Outlook, I think. Are you aware of the plus operator? It's like your username plus and then any other word. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that feels like a lot of work, right? Because then you're like subscribing with a bunch of discrete email addresses technically, but it's really easy to filter at that point. It's like, chanel plus whoever, Tim Ferriss at gmail.com.
1: Yeah, I usually set up labels in Gmail based on the person.
0: Nice. I use the plus operator mostly to see if people are selling my email address. That's how I like to do it.
1: You know what I realized lately, though, is like if someone signs up through Upscribe or like one of those referral programs, like if they subscribe to my newsletter and wrote like plus growth in reverse and then... They signed up to yours through Upscribe or whatnot, and you sold their address. Like, it looks like I did it.
0: Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, that's a good point. Right. Because they're just sending the same email address. That's really interesting. I use Upscribe, and something that like frustrated me a little bit is that they're not subscribing. They just kind of get tagged, but they don't tell you that on the setup. And so, if I want people to go through my welcome sequence, like the first time I saw it, I had to like add that tag to the automation which again, right, I told you in the pre-show or before we started recording, right, my ConvertKit automations are like a Rube Goldberg machine of nonsense and exceptions and things like that, which I'm going to ask you about in a minute, but I do want to keep going through this research process. So you have all of this data. So what do you do with that? Do you try to find like threads or a narrative? Do you already have the narrative kind of going into your research? What's that like?
1: Yeah, so I'll usually maybe have some semblance of like what I think is going to come out of it. But usually they'll say things multiple times throughout different interviews, or they'll mention it in a blog post and then talk about it on a podcast. So then I'll kind of like dig deeper into there and be like, did this really help them grow quickly? And then if it did, I'll add it to my list. But I try and keep it between like three and five like growth levers, if you will. I mean, I'm sure I could add like 50 for each person, but I try and do like the more impactful or ones that'll resonate with people.
0: By God, is just the one I've most recently read or the one that really resonated with me the most. But like you even said explicitly in that one, like you're not going to grow as quickly as they did. But it's like easy to like look at creators who grew really quickly and be like, well, that's definitely not going to happen for me and like turn off, right? Like uh, I really like Jay Bear's content, but like I kind of felt that about his talk. He was like, yeah, I, I just turned my hobby into a business in like six months. And I'm like, no one does that. Almost no one does that.
1: Right. But he also has like a ton of marketing experience. So like he knows, yeah.
0: Yeah. I like the way you do that. Like you highlight, but like, do you get pushback on that where it's like, well, you know, of course they were able to do it. Or does like your constraint of, well, they have to have started relatively recently kind of guard against that or inoculate against that a little bit.
1: Yeah. I haven't really heard that too much, but I think it's also because I add that little disclaimer. Like you're probably look, something I know a
0: lot of creators struggle with is turning their audience into buyers, which is why I want to tell you about Brevo. Easily create customized emails, engaging SMS campaigns, and stunning landing pages, and automated workflows. No matter your goals, Brevo has the complete toolkit to turn one-time browsers into long-term customers. Brevo, formerly known as SendinBlue, is the leading CRM suite designed to fully cultivate long-term customer relationships. They make this possible through intuitive and scalable marketing and CRM tools for email, SMS, automation, and more. If you want to nurture your customer relationships, you need Brevo. And my favorite part is that they don't price based on number of contacts. They do it based on number of emails sent. You can get started with Brevo for free by clicking the link below or going to Brevo.com slash Joe and using the promo code Joe to save 50% on your first three months of the starter and business plans. Again, that's B-R-E-V-O dot slash J-O-E. Sign up today for free. Let's talk about customer reviews for a second. Are you properly leveraging them for your business? Customer reviews are pure gold. People are willingly telling you what they like, don't like, and want. I don't know about you, but I've spent a lot of time reading through my own reviews and my competitors' reviews to gain new insights. To be honest, it's sort of like drinking from a fire hose. That's why I love GapScout.com. GapScout simplifies this entire process by using AI to consolidate and analyze customer reviews across the internet. And not just your reviews, but the reviews of every business in your market. You'll gain insight into how customers in your market feel about your business compared to your competitors, where there are gaps, and the biggest opportunities to win more customers. GapScout continually monitors customer opinions and reports on the changes so that you can beat the competition and stay ahead of market trends. Getting started is easy. Go to GapScout.com to learn more. And be sure to join the mailing list to get the latest news. That's GapScout.com. Hey, real quick before we get back into the episode, I want to tell you about my free newsletter, Podcast Workflows. If you are wondering how I can successfully run this show, plus two other shows, plus run a business, plus run three children, Podcast Workflows is for you. You will get weekly emails with behind-the-scenes look on how I produce this show, experiments I am trying with other podcasts, and general advice to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. You'll also have the opportunity to become a member and get ad-free extended episodes of this show as well as bonus content. You can do all of that over at podcastworkflows.com slash join. That's podcastworkflows.com slash join. Sign up for free
1: today. Probably not going to grow this fast.
0: <laughs> you talk about the growth levers or levers. Giveaways was one that stood out, sharing the right way on social media. When it comes to growing your own no- newsletter, how do you stop yourself from implementing everything that you learned, right? This is like something that I struggle with. Like, I interview somebody and I'm like, I want to just go off and do what I just learned. I need to practice restraint because then I would just work on my business the whole time.
1: Yeah. I think that it comes down to how much time these take me. So I really don't have the bandwidth to do all of that. Although I would love to because like with every deep dive, I'm like, wow, that's so cool. Like I want to replicate that for my own thing. But it's just like, I barely have enough time to put out like Twitter content. (laughs) So yeah.
0: Right. Awesome. Is this like a Monday to Saturday thing, right? Like you do the research for the first few days and then you spend some time writing the story. Is that kind of how it works?
1: Yeah, so those first three days or so, depending on how many podcasts there are, it'll usually be like me just hustling to try and get through all of the content. And sometimes I'll skip a few if they're not like super relevant. But yeah, so I'll do all of that and then I'll come back to my desk and kind of like look through what I've got, go through like YouTube, because sometimes... There's like YouTube videos that aren't turned into podcasts. And then there's also like blog posts and even just going through their old Twitter account. Tweemax is the tool I use. And you can, it's kind of like Twitter advanced search, but a little easier to use. So I'll use that and kind of go back in time and be like, okay, what did they post in 2021? Like how did they grow their Twitter account then? But that usually comes from seeing if there were any dips or spikes in their growth. And I'll be like, okay, well, that was a big month. What happened in that month? And I'll try and dig deeper.
0: Nice. That's awesome. I'm not going to try to find it right now because I feel like that makes horrible interview content. But there's a tool around YouTube where you can like set up alerts for searches like that too. So you can put in like a name, like common use cases, like I'll put my name in, right? And then I'll get notified when a video uses my name or whatever. So that might be a pretty interesting tool as well. And we've been talking about tools a lot. So let's dive into it. You mentioned Apple Notes, right, as your note-taking app. You mentioned Google Sheets. I'm going to do a quick aside on Apple Notes, right, because I saw a tweet the other day, I'll try to link this in the show notes as well, where it was like the technology adoption curve and it was like the Luddite is the person who never wants to adopt, right? The Luddite is using Apple Notes and then like the very technical early adopter person is using Apple Notes and then in the middle of the curve is like this guy who's like sweating, trying to connect like Obsidian to Readwise to Pocket, whatever. And I'm like, gosh, this is a direct attack on my character. <laughs> I've since moved to Bear Notes, which is a... It's like Apple Notes with Markdown support.
1: Okay. Yeah, I was using Obsidian for a while though. What
0: triggered the change in you? Because I'll tell you, for me, like I use Craft. Craft is like a center piece of my note taking. It's like this is using a plane to like walk down the street. And so that's why I kind of moved to Bear Notes. I'm like, this is a note taking app, not like a brain system or whatever.
1: So the reason I moved back to Apple Notes was because when I'm on a walk and I'm trying to open the Obsidian app, it has like all these things like refreshing database, blah, 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 blah. blah. And like in that moment, I just want to take a note. And so like with Apple Notes, it's just like quick. That's the only reason. <laughs> it's nothing fancy. It's just fast.
0: Yeah. Which is the perfect use case, right? I ran into that issue again with craft, right? Because I usually, I'm one of those people who talk out loud to my devices, even if I'm in public, right? So I'll say like, I have an idea and that triggers a series shortcut that for a while was opening a craft note. But craft, I guess you need to have the screen active for it to work. And I'm like, well, this is useless, right? If I'm dictating notes, and so I move to Bear, right, which doesn't have that constraint. But like I have to, right, if that happens, I'm going to move to Apple Notes because like you said, it's about speed, right? You want to capture it quickly.
1: Yeah. And they have the dictation as well. So that's like super helpful because I'm moving. So it's like hard to look down and try and type something so I can just speak into my phone.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. I usually have a cigar in hand when I'm walking too. So like nice. you know, one-handed <laughs> typing, whatever. My walks are not for health purposes, obviously.
1: (laughs) Well, I hope you don't have a cigar while you're running.
0: No, definitely not (laughs) that. After the run, celebratory cigar, right? like, what's the point? And I'm like, the point is that I did it. (laughs) The point is that I proved to myself I could run a half marathon. Run is generous. Participated in and completed is usually how I word that. Better than nothing. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. If you've gone to Disney World, right, or Disneyland, and they do the runs there, they have, they're called the Balloon Ladies. They keep a 16-minute pace. And if you fall behind the Balloon Ladies, you get swept up by this truck because the race needs to be over at a certain time so they can open the parks. And so I've never been swept up by the Balloon Ladies. And that is really all I care about.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's a win in my book. Yes. So Apple Notes
0: for Notes, are you like tagging them, keeping them in a folder? Are you deleting? Because I imagine if you're doing 20 to 25 hours of research and there's like hours and hours of podcast content, you're probably taking a lot of notes. you just leaving them there? Or do you like clean up every week? What's that like?
1: Yeah, they're in a folder called Deep Dives. But yeah, I keep swapping back and forth between like creating a folder for each specific Deep Dive and then a note for each podcast or just like having it all in one note. But yeah, so I'm still figuring that out.
0: Right. And then like, do you clean up every week? Or are they just like there now?
1: No, they're just in that deep dives folder. I think, oh, actually I have an archive. So I'll move them into the archive.
0: Solid, right. That's how I do it in craft, right? I move everything to, an, my archive is just like a disaster. But like, you know, if you want to reference something later, you can easily search it, right? So you have your Apple notes, you're keeping things in a Google sheet. Where does the actual writing happen?
1: In WordPress, and you're probably going to yell at me for that, but (laughs) it's just easiest.
0: (laughs) Whatever is easy. Yeah. And are you using the block editor?
1: Yes. At this point, I have migrated to the block editor.
0: I will generally write in Ulysses. Again, mostly for the markdown. But like, I mean, okay, this is again, like an old school guy thing, right? Like if you're writing in WordPress in like 2006, I started using WordPress in 2004, right? And it started in 2003. So I have been through it all. But if you were writing in in the browser in 2006, I'd be like, yeah, you shouldn't do that because if anything happens, you are losing your content. But like today, they've got auto-saving, they've got revision history, like it might as well be a native app, right? It's as reliable as anything else.
1: Yeah, and the easiest part for me with WordPress is that I add a ton of like graphics and images so I can just be writing and then hit enter, like slash image and input that specific graph or, yeah.
0: What theme are you using? I think I looked this up because I was curious.
1: GeneratePress?
0: So you're using GeneratePress. Are you using like any special block plugins or anything like that or just kind of what comes with WordPress?
1: Yeah, I mean, GenerateBlocks is probably the plugin, but I don't know how like, I don't have anything too crazy in there. It's just mostly what comes with it.
0: Because there's like a lot of stuff. Like I use Cadence, the Cadence theme and Cadence blocks, which essentially makes like a page builder, right? Like they have their rows and things like that. There's like Spectra, which has like a cool like timeline block or whatever. But I find like, especially if you're not using Chrome, like if you're using like Safari like that, it just becomes like untenable to use anything that's like JavaScript heavy. So yeah, I think like as lightweight as you can keep it, the better. Cool. Okay. So you use WordPress for your website. You mentioned Upscribe. So I assume you're using ConvertKit for your newsletter. Yep. And then I'm subscribed to your newsletter. So I already know the answer to this. But you're not connecting WordPress to ConvertKit in such a way where it sends the full content via ConvertKit, right?
1: I think they would get cut off by Gmail because usually my articles are like three to 5,000 words long and have all those images in them. So I think it would just, yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. And so was that the main reason that you decided to do it that way? Like you wanted to design your content in a less constrained way than ConvertKit offers?
1: Yeah. I don't know that I thought about it that hard. I think in the past, like I've just been someone who publishes stuff on WordPress. So like I always just started that way and then I was like, oh, I'll just link to it from the newsletter because it seemed like a lot to copy-paste and reformat and all that.
0: That's awesome. And then do you see a pretty high click-through rate?
1: I do. Yeah. The total click-through rate is like 11 or 12%, but then some people are clicking on other things. So.
0: Nice. So, I mean, you have a lot more subscribers than I do. So like something that I notice is that I have uh, some subscribers who click every link and that's just like their email client automatically clicking links. And it like, frustrates me mostly because there are some links that only they click on. And I'm like, well, this is not any validation. It's really a, b- a bummer.
1: Yeah, I actually read an article about, I forget who wrote it, but they put a hidden link in. So like only a bot would click it. So like you can kind of see who.
0: Oh, yeah. The old honeypot thing right? <laughs> that you do with forms, right? Make the hidden field that only a spam bot would fill out. And then you know it's spam. That's really interesting. I was listening to Deliverability Defined, which is convert kits podcast today as we record this. They mentioned, it was like an FAQ episode and they kind of mentioned the automatic clicking and they're like, it doesn't really affect deliverability and like some clients do it to like make sure that it's not dangerous links or whatever. And I'm like, okay, I guess that's fine. I'll like live with this. But it's still like, oh, wow, somebody clicked on my product. And it's like, nope, it was that guy. Who just automatically clicks on everything.
1: Yeah. Or like you can send an email and then look like 30 seconds later and you'll see like 20 clicks on the same link. And I'm like, no. <laughs> Bummer. But yeah, if you have a lot of uh, subscribers who are working in like corporate jobs or that kind of thing, they usually have like a firewall spam filter.
0: That is exactly what they said. Alyssa and Melissa on Deliverability Defined. That's exactly what they said. Yeah, that makes sense, right? Okay, so... Apple Notes, WordPress, ConvertKit. Anything else I'm missing here for the tools that you use in your research?
1: Yeah, Readwise. We kind of talked about that.
0: We did, but I would love to talk about that more because I love Readwise. Do you use their RSS reader as well?
1: I do not.
0: Do you use any RSS reader? I do not. Okay, interesting. So Readwise, for those who don't know, you highlight stuff and then it goes into Readwise and Readwise, you can tag it and Readwise will resurface things that you've highlighted. The purpose it served, at least in the beginning, right, is like I me, mean, you make a bunch of highlights on Kindle and then you never look at them again. And with ReadWise, they will resurface those Kindle highlights daily for you. I suspect you and I use it very similarly, right? In that when we read a website, we see something interesting, highlight it, tag it, reference it later.
1: Are you using the reader?
0: Yeah, that's the RSS reader thing, right? But it's not just RSS, right? I think that's the reader by ReadWise is like a RSS thing. But it's also a read it later thing. And so I was in their early private beta. I think it's great. Like they convert PDFs to text so you can like highlight PDFs. They give you an email address for you to subscribe to newsletters. I actually just switched my email address for your newsletter to my actual email address since I usually end up saving your article in Readwise anyway right? Because it's not like the full content sent. So I'm just like, well, I'll at least see how her newsletter is designed. I have no idea what your newsletter actually looks like. That's like one of the things that Feedbin does better than Readwise Reader is like they will make an HTML copy of the newsletter so that you can see it properly formatted. Readwise has fully focused on like parsing text and making it look good. So I don't actually know what most newsletters I'm subscribed to look like.
1: Interesting. I'm going to have to subscribe to myself on some of these.
0: People are asking me like how I always stay at inbox zero. And like, one of the things is like newsletters never hit my inbox. Most newsletters, right? Most of them are going to, I used Feedbin for a while, I used I know reader for a while, but they all give you like this discrete email address that you can subscribe to newsletters with. It falls down a little bit because I'm subscribed to like the dispatch and certain member full sites with ReadWise. And so, like, I also get receipts sent to my RSS reader, which I don't love, but no way around it. Cool. So how do you use Readwise? I think we probably just talked a lot about how you use it, but like your tagging system and and stuff like that.
1: So I'll just kind of dump everything I find through Google or YouTube or anything like that into Readwise and then tag it with the person's name. That's pretty much the extent of it. It's not that robust of a system, but sometimes I put a bunch of stuff into Readwise and I don't actually look at it again. (laughs) But uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Do you use the Chrome plugin? Like they have a really good Chrome plugin.
1: Yes. And you can use like a keyboard shortcut to save it.
0: Yeah. And then like you can highlight in line. I know how it works, but it still feels like magic. Like it's really cool.
1: Yes. It's very magic.
0: (laughs) And then, so another thing I really like about Readwise Reader is you can subscribe to your YouTube subscriptions and pull those in. And then it also pulls in the transcript so you can actually highlight the transcript of YouTube videos. It's a pretty neat feature.
1: It is neat. The only problem I found with that is that I use a Chrome plugin that like speeds up videos. And I had to change all my keyboard shortcuts. When I was trying to like speed it up, it would close the window because it was like the same keyboard. Sh- and it was like really frustrating. <laughs> oh,
0: man, that is super frustrating. Do you know the name of that plugin? Because I will like that.
1: Oh, yeah. I've been using it for probably seven years or so. Video Speed Controller. I'll send the link to you.
0: Awesome. And I will, again, link it. We're talking about a bunch of tools, right? Which is a very rich show notes page over at how I Built that it slash 319. Video Speed Controller. Awesome. Yeah, I'm going to check that out because sometimes I'm like, just get to the point, right? Like most YouTube videos, it's like it's coming, but seriously. So you have mentioned keyboard shortcuts multiple times. We can end the workflow stuff here because we're, we're coming up on an hour and we've been talking about this a lot. But this is really interesting to me. I think people like it. I have an ulterior motive for digging into workflows a lot, obviously, that you know about now. How crucial are keyboard shortcuts to your like everyday workflow? Because I know some people are like, it's too many to memorize. I have a few that I use, but I rely mostly on my stream deck because it's like graphical representation that makes a little more sense to me.
1: Yeah, I think I'm getting more and more into them because it just speeds up everything. But I've been starting to use Keyboard Maestro. I guess it's like a text expander. Yes,
0: love Keyboard Maestro.
1: So they actually work with a stream deck too. So I started setting up like main websites that I'll go to, like even just a specific folder in Google Drive. So I'll do like colon DR to like open that up, like drive. And like, so just set some of those things up. Yeah, I mean, I use quite a few of them, but I doubt I'm barely scratching the surface of what I could do.
0: Oh, yeah. There's a David Sparks, Max Sparky Online. He has the Automators podcast. The stuff that like he and his co-host Rosemary Orchard do with keyboard shortcuts is wild. And like David has like, I think three stream decks now. On Etsy, they make this thing that can like stack two 32 button stream decks on top of one another. And I'm like, I feel like I'm like six months away from that. I have like pages on mine and then I have the Stream Deck Plus with the dials. But like, it's very nice. I've got a lot going on on my Stream Deck.
1: At one point, I had my iPad set up with like the Stream Deck app, I guess. And you can do like a bunch. Is that a monthly subscription? I think it was. Yes.
0: I mean, you said you're referring to it in the past tense, but was it worth it? Was it good?
1: I thought it was pretty good. I should probably get that back out.
0: I bought a number pad. Well, I got a number pad thing for Christmas, the MX Master something. MX Cool, not MX Master, that's Logitech. And it's just like, it's a number pad, right? And I thought, oh, this is great. It's just 24 keys. I can assign things to numbers, but it's not compatible with the Mac. And like, I've tried to like make it work with Keyboard Maestro and Better Touch Tool. And just because of that keyboard maps to like the left third of an actual keyboard, it's never going to work. It's just really, without their software, super annoying. I will share one keyboard maestro thing that I do a lot, which is churn through a lot of options quickly. So like, do you use like Palladio? That's like Brennan Dunn's like newsletter designer thing.
1: No, I need to get in there though.
0: It's nice. For a while, like anytime you added a template, it added like the color scheme. And so I had like, Hundreds of colors in my brand, and I just wanted to delete all of them. And like, I figured out where to position my mouse to click and then delete. Like, click, confirm, delete. And so I set up a keyboard maestro shortcut to position the mouse, click, confirm, and I do that. Like, I think I did it a hundred times in a row to like churn through that. So I would just do it and walk away. And then, like, by the time it was gone, all the colors were deleted. I did that with like Twitter interesting topics too, because one of the things I did when I came back to Twitter was like I wanted to start as fresh as possible, and so like I think I had like maybe 150 topics that Twitter thought I was interested in, and so I just used the keyboard maestro script to like uncheck all of those.
1: Yeah, I would probably just sit there and keep clicking.
0: (laughs) Right, anytime I click more than like five times in a row, I'm like, all right, I can keyboard maestro this faster. Okay, we're coming up on the end here. Something I. Don't think I asked you yet. Actually, this is my show notes document is now very full. Tools for social sharing, right? So one of the things that you mentioned to Jay, right, that I think Jay commended you for that I think is also really smart is the day before, right? It's like a, a couple days before and then the day before you'll tweet that a new edition is coming out. And then what is it a couple of days after that you cover what you learned and make that a Twitter thread? Is that the workflow?
1: Exactly. Yeah. So the teaser, as I call it, the one that comes before the issue goes out is uh, very effective. And I would definitely recommend it.
0: Nice. This is, again, I feel like this is where I've made a tactical error. Because I created like evergreen, Brendan Dunn will call it like a shadow newsletter that just goes out every Thursday. But like, I can't just be like, hey, sign up tomorrow. It's like tomorrow for these people is always the first tip, right? So
1: Yeah, but for this new project, you can...
0: Yes, your newsletter has been highly inspirational to me in starting this new project, podcastworkflows.com.
1: Heard it here first.
0: (laughs) Yes, you did. Well, I guess you heard it here first if you're listening live. This is going to come out in a couple of weeks. But yes, this is the first time on the show I'm mentioning it. I'm really excited, right? Because it's like deep dives into people's workflows. And again, like I didn't feel like my current newsletter was like, ephemeral thoughts, really, just like what I'm thinking about and repurpose social media post, And that's good. Like, that's fine. I don't feel like that's the right path for me to grow my newsletter. And this really aligns with where I'm moving my business. So I'm like, I'm really excited about it. And definitely stealing the teaser. And then again, after the fact, you do like the high-level overview of what you've learned, basically, right?
1: Yeah, so I'll just break down like the four growth levers that they used.
0: And then, because this is a WordPress site, as we record this, if you know the URL, you can access the articles, right? Do you link directly to the article or do you get people to sign up for the newsletter?
1: So at the moment, I get people to sign up for the newsletter. And then every week in the welcome email, I'll update the first link in that welcome email to say, here's the most recent.
0: That's the thing I was going to ask you about is how do you, because this is like, I really wish ConvertKit had this feature, right? Some do. Is it MailChimp does maybe? It'll be like, here's the latest issue. I love ConvertKit, but like maybe they could have spent less time on like templates and more time on that. <laughs> <laughs> That's shit. That's unnecessary shade, especially because I, like they paid me to promote those <laughs> templates. I just really wish that was like send them the latest newsletter when they sign up. That would be a very valuable thing. So you manually update that. That's like part of your workflow every week. And then you publish on Sundays. Is there a reason you picked Sunday?
1: There is not a reason I picked Sunday. Like the first one I ever did, I finished it like on a Friday. And I was like, oh, I should send it. But I should wait till Monday. And I was like, no, I'm just going to send it. (laughs) Get this out here. I think I sent it to four subscribers. So
0: Nice. And now you're at like 8,000 plus. That's amazing. We didn't really, I mean, we talked a little bit about your growth levers. You do dig deeper into that on Jay's podcast. So I'll just mention that. But I will give you the high level overview of what I, the notes I took from that episode, right? It's uh, unique content that, takes you time, right? That You said it takes you time, but it saves your audience time. Usually there's some community around it. Now this is for the people who have built the newsletters, right? Like, do you have a community associated to your newsletter?
1: Not yet. Nope. So just me surrounding myself with other people like Jay's Lab or other communities.
0: And then start niche or start niche. I guess start niche. Niche feels like the noun and niche feels like the adverb.
1: Feels like French or something. Niche.
0: I know, right? <laughs> uh, I always say niche and then I get yelled at. Oh, you're American. Yes. Very clearly American. So start niche and go bigger. I really like that. I think a lot of people want to start big because it's like the biggest audience, but you want your stuff to resonate with you, with their listeners. So the last thing I'll mention here, right? Start niche and go bigger, right? Is you focus primarily on newsletter growth, right? Like you're not talking about how they grew a podcast or how they grew an online store or whatever.
1: Yeah. I'm starting to branch out a little bit, but as long as they have a newsletter that has more than 50,000 subscribers, like it qualifies. Because I think building an audience in the creator space anymore is like important in general. And so like if you can build a huge Twitter following, cool. But like if you don't have a newsletter, why are you doing it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, my friend just got locked out of LinkedIn yesterday. He's like back today, but really makes you think like what happens if you get the forever banhammer hammer right on the social network that you were using to connect to your audience? And so this is my real last question. When you promote on Twitter or LinkedIn, do you include the link in the main post? Do you add the link later? Are you using a tool for that? Because this is like the other thing, right? Like if you link to something externally, it feels like you get dinged.
1: Yeah, you definitely get dinged. So Twitter and LinkedIn are a little different. So with Twitter, Justin Welsh posted in a recent newsletter that he switched up his Twitter like teaser post to be like something of value in the first tweet and then you're kind of like teasing the next one so it's almost like a mini thread and then the second tweet has the actual link and I feel like that does pretty well because it gets people engaging and clicking through and they're kind of staying on the platform in a way On LinkedIn, I will include the link. I'm testing it out with the comments too instead of in the actual post, but I haven't figured that out yet.
0: They killed pinned comments like a week after they rolled them out. But like that was like, I felt that was the best way to do it on LinkedIn, right? Because then you can just pin your own comment. Maybe they saw that and were like, we don't want that. So I haven't teased How I Built It Pro, the members only show yet, but she's grown a lot in a few months I'm going to ask what the next six to 12 months look like for growth in reverse. So if you want to learn the future plans and how Chanel plans on monetizing the newsletter, sign up for How I Built a Pro over at howibuilt.it slash pro. It costs $10 a month or $100 a year. That's like two coffees, right? I raised the price. People who listen know, I raised the prices and I would say, oh, five bucks is like less than a coffee at Starbucks. It's less than two coffees, which is still really good value. So... Head on over to How howibuilt.it slash pro to get ad-free extended episodes of this show as well as a Friday newsletter on automation. So there you go. Chanel, if people want to learn more about you and sign up for this amazing newsletter, where can they find you?
1: Yeah, so the newsletter is at growthinreverse.com and then I'm also on Twitter and LinkedIn just under my name, Chanel.
0: Chanel Co, right, is their Twitter handle. Okay, I will link all of that and everything we talked about in the show notes over at It slash 319. That's 319. Thanks so much for listening, Chanel. Thanks so much for spending some time with us today.
1: Thanks for having me on. This was fun, Joe.
0: My pleasure. It was great. It was very illuminating for me. I was really excited to do this. And until next time, get out there and build something.